So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Micah, Micah 6, Micah 6. And if you don't know where Micah is, just look for Jonah. <laughs> and it's the, it's the next prophet over. So Micah 6. And while you look for Micah, I'm going to tell you about a king, a king that was hunting in the forest. And while he's hunting there, he, he found a tree that had several arrows drawn, arrows and a circle drawn in his trunk. And it was right at the center. And so he asked, who, who this fine archer might be? He asked the man that was with him. I must find him. And recruit him for my army, he said. And just at that moment, a boy was walking and he overheard the king ask him. And he admitted that he was the one who shot the arrows. The king asked, are you sure that you just didn't like, push the arrows down in the center? That no, sire, I shot them from a hundred paces. Whew! That it's amazing, cried the king. From now on, consider yourself to be in the service of your king. And the boy was overjoyed. He was proud. And the king asked, now, tell me, how did you become such an excellent archer? Well, said the boy, first I shoot the arrow at the tree and then I paint a ring around the arrow. <laughs> now, it does sound funny, but sometimes that is what we do when we set goals. We set goals for ourselves that we know we can't miss. And then we just feel good about them. We just feel good about ourselves. But as Christians, we're not called to set goals that we can't miss. We're called to set goals that we cannot accomplish if it wasn't by the Holy Spirit in us. But maybe you are like me. I mean, setting goals, <laughs> it's not my strong suit. It is not. So if that's you, let's, let's get some help from some people, dead people. Like Jonathan Edwards. Listen, listen to the goals uh, that he had. Jonathan Edwards. He says, Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Resolve never to do anything but duty and then according to Ephesians 6, 6-8, do it willingly and cheerfully as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good things any man doth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. 
There is a theme running through these resolutions. And the theme is godliness. Jonathan Edwards wanted to grow in godliness. I mean, I love those goals. But the question for us this morning is, how do we go from not having goals or having worldly goals to have godly goals like Jonathan Edwards? The type of goals that are impossible for us if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. How do we get there? Well, the first place that we need to start is not looking to what we can do, but what God has done for us. Then, after that, we must ask, given that God has saved us, given that we have His Holy Spirit, what demands does God put a place upon our lives? And finally, knowing that we're in Him, that we will not experience His wrath, that we will not be condemned, even if we fall short of those goals, and we will fall short of those, we can still work diligently toward those goals. And we will see each one of those steps this morning in our passage today in Micah. And we will see that at the end, at the end, godliness must be the goal of every believer. Now, we will see the entire chapter, so we will read a lot. But before we start reading, I'm going to give you a quick overview of what we have in Micah to this point. When Micah is writing to Israel, Israel is divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Micah is writing to them at the same period of time where Isaiah is writing to Israel. And in chapter 1 of Micah, God is coming in judgment for the sin of Israel. Then in chapter 2, Micah moves to more specific sin, the sin of greed. Israel had had become greedy people. In chapter 3 and 4, Micah tells the people that their hope cannot be in their circumstances, but their hope needs to be in this future kingdom that it's coming. And then in chapter 5, Micah talks about this shepherd king who will rule this future kingdom. And we get to chapter 6, and he's telling them, what their goal should be to live in this kingdom. That their goal must be godliness. That should be our goal this morning as well. So, if you have Micah, Micah 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 5, but let's pray first that God may help us. Lord, We pray, we come to you. We need your help. We need your help. We cannot do this alone. I pray that your Holy Spirit will awaken our hearts, will will put a passion in our hearts for your word, to be doers of your words and not just hearers of it. I pray that we will light a fire in our hearts to serve you, to live for your glory. Whatever we do in life, do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Micah 
Let's start verse 1. We're going to read 1 to 5. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. And you enduring fountains, foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeem you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Bala king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Let's jump right to the first step. Let's meditate and remember what God had already done. Micah is going to tell the Israelite, the people of God, what should be their goal. He's going to tell them what God demands from them, but the Word of God never, never starts there. We see that clearly through Scripture. It never starts with us. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. So even when Micah is going to address them, he's going to start with everything has its beginning. God himself and what God has already done. Now these verses start with a court scene. We see the Lord bringing an accusation against the people of God. The mountains and the hills, the whole created world will be a witness to the Lord. God will bring an indictment against His people, judgment against Israel. But even in this judgment scene, we see God's mercy and tenderness for His people. Look in verse 3, He calls it, Oh my people, oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? I mean, we see God's condescendence here. I will bring judgment against you. But can you complain? Do you have something against me? Speak. Answer me. Do you have anything against the Lord? And then he continues. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeem you from the house of slavery. God is telling them, I redeem you. I took you out of slavery, but I did not stop there. I gave you Moses, Aaron, Miriam, leaders that faced Pharaoh and spoke on their behalf. Micah, is the, in the previous chapters, had some strong words for the judges, for the priests, and for the prophets of Israel. They all had corrupted themselves. There was no justice in the courts. The priests proclaimed blessings for the rich and curses for the poor that could not pay them. And the prophets were not speaking the words of God. And here Micah is contrasting what God had done for them, for the people, 
and how they have corrupted that gift. God is telling them, I brought you out of slavery and gave you what you needed. Not only that, when other people wanted to destroy you, when other people wanted to curse you, I didn't allow it. That's Balaam's story. Balak wanted to wanted for Balaam to curse Israel. He looked at them and said, well, those people are too powerful for me. And so he wanted to curse Israel. And Balaam goes with Balak people. And on the way, the angel of the Lord appears and a donkey speaks. Now, why is that relevant? Because God wants them to remember what he has done for them. He acts on their behalf even when they cannot see what he's doing. God protects his people. God blesses his people. He brought them out supernaturally by parting the Red Sea. If God spoke to the prophet through a donkey to protect his people, why are you doubting that he can do that again? They doubt because they don't meditate on what God has done for them. Do you? Do you meditate in the blessings of God in your life? Or do you just take it for granted? I mean, like Piper said, a day when we open our eyes and we're not in hell, it's a good day. We need to start in the same place that Micah started, meditating in what God has already done for us. Before we set any goals, before thinking, what can I do or what can I change, we need to meditate in Him. If not, if not, we will set selfish goals. We will will want to live our lives for ourselves. We will set ourselves as kings and queens over our own lives. Brothers and sisters, He brought you out of the slavery to your sin. He bought you with His blood. He redeemed you so that you are not a slave to your sin, but free to live for Him. Remember from where He brought you. It doesn't matter if you were the worst criminal in the world or you were raised in the church your condition was the same you were dead in your trespasses and sins no spiritual life no hope in the world we were all there i was there 16 years ago i was sitting there and through the preaching of the gospel i saw the majesty of the gospel more clearly. And I used to describe my conversion, I used to describe that moment as if God from heaven got his leave, roll him back, stick out his hand down, 
got me out of the pit of destruction, kind of cleaned me up and put me on the rock. But he did a lot more than that. He not only extended his arm, he came down himself. He became completely dirty. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He pleased God to give you a spiritual life, to open your spiritual eyes to see the majesty of the gospel. You and I were dead, but now we are alive in Christ Jesus. Is that how you remember your conversion? If it's not, I, I, I pray that you would allow the scriptures to inform how that happened, and not the other way around. That is extremely important, because if we understand, if we understand this, if we understand that we belong to Him, our goals will look completely different than the goals of the world. Our goals, like Jonathan Edwards' goals, will be in accordance with what he demands from us. So let's see the step two. Step two, what God demands. We need to understand what God demands from us. Verses six to eight. Verses six to eight. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, with ten thousands of river of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the law require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This second part starts with a prophet asking something to the Lord. Now this is what's happening. God calls Israel because he has an indictment against them. The natural response to that is to try to change, to try to appease the situation. Now, I can relate to that. It's when you have a day of work, and you are getting to your house, and as you open the door, your wife is looking at you with the most serious face, hand on the hip. We need to talk. Now, after you go through the shock of just thinking, what did you do? What, what happened here? Right? You're going to try to appease the situation. You're going to try to see, okay, okay how, can we, how can we work this out? Right? You can start with small things, but you're going to end up probably offering a trip to Puerto Rico or just <laughs> go on a shopping spree. Right? You go... You, go, you keep going up. But that's, that's kind of what's happening here in verses 6 and 7. 
Micah is writing as a priest in the temple of God, answering to God. The problem is that the questions that this priest is asking reveal a heart that is not captivated by God, but a heart that only wants to be delivered from a difficult situation. Can you relate to that? And I want you to see how this question keep increasing in magnitude. In magnitude, shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Now the implicit answer is no. What about a thousand rams? Again, no. Ten thousand rivers of oil? No. Shall I give my firstborn? You see, the questions are escalating in magnitude. We see that the intention is to do something external to gain God's favor. The pagan religions sacrificed their babies. Let's try that. Let's see if we can satisfy the wrath of God that way. Let's relate to our God. Let's relate to Yahweh, the, Yahweh, the king of the universe, the same way the pagan religions relate to their false gods. Do you see the insanity in that? We need to be careful when thinking about our goals. God is not going to be mocked by our weak attempts to appease our consciences or appease Him. He's not looking for us to just do stuff. We cannot treat God as we treat our idols. Godliness is a matter of the heart. There's only one episode in the entire Bible where God asked a man to sacrifice his son, and God himself stopped that. That was designed to tell Abraham who God was, and that was pointed to something bigger than him. God was showing Abraham, that he himself one day was going to provide a lamb. And he did that in his son. He gave his son as a sacrifice so that we could be saved. God through Micah is telling us that the things that we do to obtain something from God is not what he's looking for. It may be goals, sacrifice, whatever you do, if it's not coming from a heart that is captivated, that is transformed, that is grateful to God, then that's not what God is looking for. He's not interested in empty rituals or promises. Now you have to remember, these words were written to Israel. The main point was never to do stuff, to check them out of a list. God gave them the sacrificial system so that they can see their sinfulness necessitates the shedding of blood. And since it wasn't their own, that you have led them to a grateful heart, captivated by the grace of God. And then that was supposed to be transforming the way that they live their lives. But they did not see it that way. They did not see it. Therefore, the prophet is going to remind them. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? In this short sentence, 
the prophet is making a crucial theological statement. What God declares is good. What God demands, whatever it is, is good. Now this is very important. Whatever God is demanding from your life, whatever He's demanding from you is good. He is the definition of good. He is the standard of goodness. The law of God is good. That's why the psalmist wants to meditate in his law night and day. The problem, the problem with us is that we confuse law with legalism. We need to understand that everything that God declares and that God demands is good, including his law. But do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you do, then your goals need to be aligned to what He demands from you. So let's look. Let's see what God demands from all of us. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the main verse in this chapter. This is the, the pinnacle of the chapter. Should godliness really be our goal as believers? Verse 8, what does God demand of His people? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with His God. God's judgment is about to fall on Israel because there was no justice on the land. The rich people were oppressing the poor. Micah compares the rich people to cannibals in chapter 3. They ate the poor. There was no mercy in the land. Everything was done for the benefit of the powerful. The people had turned to idolatry. They turned their backs and were worshiping idols. They forgot the law of God. They for God what God demanded from them. And because of that, there will be consequences. We will see those consequences in the next point. But before, before we continue, there is something very important that we need to ask ourselves from this passage. Is complying with the law of God, is doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God, something specifically for Israel, or is it a call for us in 2019? In other words, are these demands from the, for the Old Testament only and not for us today? It is an important questions, question because there are people that say that the law of God is for the Old Testament only. And it has nothing to do with the believers. We live under grace, not under law. It's not an easy question. And when we talk about it, we need to define our terms. When I speak of the law of God, I refer to the moral law of God, not the ceremonial law, since the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. I'm not speaking about the civil law because we are not a theocracy. The question is, do we need to obey the moral law of God? And the truth 
is throughout Scripture that by the works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. We're justified because God imputes Jesus' perfect life for us. His perfect life is credited to us. Our works have nothing to do with our justification. Zero. Nada. Romans 3.20, Galatians 2.16, and many other passages of scriptures. However, however, our works are necessary in our sanctification. Paul says in Ephesians that we are created for, in Christ, for, for good works that he prepared beforehand. And he's saying that immediately after saying that we are saved by grace. Our works are a result of our salvation, of our justification. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one, no one will see the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill said, that the tra- tragedy of today is that the church is pursuing happiness, not holiness. But without holiness, no one, no one will see the Lord. In other words, if the fruit in our life don't show that we do justice, that we love mercy, that we walk humbly with our God, we will not see him. Whoa, that sounds like legalism, does it? Oh, my response is no. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Listen to Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by this Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is telling the believers in Rome, and he's telling us this morning, that if we live according to what you, what we want, if we live according to what we think is right, we will die. But if by the Spirit we kill the deeds of the body, if you kill the sinful desires and you live not according to our own law, but according to the law of God, then you will live. Now this verse is the key. It is the Holy Spirit in us that allow us and help us to live according to His law. And we have the Holy Spirit because Christ died for us. Because He justified us. And now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, we don't obey the law of God to gain His approval and salvation. But because we have been saved. Because we have been made new creatures. Now our goal could be to obey Him. Our goal is godliness. And that obedience, those works are necessary because otherwise we prove that our faith is dead. That's the whole point of the book of James. God demands in the gospel has not changed, have not changed. Although, although the approach, it's a little different. 
Listen to the words of John Owen. The call and the urgency of the law is so that we can be righteous. Because the law doesn't accept less than perfection. But the gospel demands it because we have been made perfectly righteous in Christ. So even as the gospel demands as much as the law, it accepts less. Even the smallest acts of sincerity and perfection mixed with the greatest degree of imperfection. In other words, in other words, the law of the Old Testament could not change the heart so that the people could obey it. But in the gospel, God gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. It destroys our pride, gives us the Holy Spirit, and write His law in our hearts. And now we delight in His law because it is not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Therefore, therefore, even though Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount gave us a more stringent and radical law, He can also say, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, God's demand in Micah 6 are the same demands we have today. The difference is that the law is written in our hearts. In sovereign grace, we preach about the grace of God with passion. And we have every reason to do it. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We owe Him everything. He is the only one that did perfect justice. He is the only one that loved kindness perfectly and walked humbly with God. But if we want to be transformed in His image and be like Him, godliness must be our goal. Must be. Problem is sometimes we separate. We separate godliness from the gospel. The gospel is not a philosophy. The gospel is a person. And when you encounter that person, you cannot be the same. The gospel will have an effect on how I treat my wife or my husband. It will have an effect on my work ethic, my career choice. Where do I go to school? Where do I move to? How I process what I watch in TV, the movies that I see, how I worship, how I pray, how I sing, how I live my entire life. We should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That is why it's so vital for believers to set goals. We cannot run aimlessly. We don't want to be boxing as beating the air. We need to set goals that will help us grow in godliness and then go for it. But we need to understand God's demands from our, for our lives. Because not knowing, not knowing what God wants in the Scriptures, what He's asking us to do, how He wants us to live, will have consequences. Let's see the last point, the last step. Meditate on God's mercy through judgment. Let's meditate in God's mercy through judgment. Verses 9 on. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and, it's, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with the wicked scales and with bags of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourself with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the status of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels. And that I make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. For six chapters, for six chapters, Micah have been warning the Israelite about God's impending judgment. God has given them every opportunity. Micah is telling them, it is wise to fear the Lord. He's giving them the way. Be wise. Be wise. Turn to the Lord. And then he starts asking them questions so that they may look their lives. And see how they're acting if ungodly ways. Are you becoming rich through immoral ways? Can the Lord turn a blind eye when, we, when what we profess doesn't align with how we live our lives? He cannot. He cannot. When the gospel of grace saves us, it changes us. Let's heed Micah's directive. Let's look at our own life. Lives. Do we have something that doesn't belong to us? 
Do we have something that we borrow a long time ago and we haven't returned it? Is there a debt that you're ignoring? Restitution. Restitution is the correct approach. Micah is also telling them about the rich and how violent and, and how liars they are. The rich were bullying the poor and God will not have it. Israel is the people of God and they were called to be different, to speak truth, to love justice and to love one another. But Israel sinned, they broke their covenant with the Lord. And he will bring about the curses that he promised through Moses in Deuteronomy 28. And we don't have time to go there, but if you go there, you can read all the curses for breaking the covenant. They go from verse 15 to verse 68. Micah basically is citing some of those, those curses here. And those curses were designed to remind the Israelites that they broke the covenant with God. And then he mentions Omri. And Omri was a king of Israel and the father of Ahab. Ahab was one of the worst kings of Israel and was the husband of Jezebel. Together they abandoned the worship and the true God and went after Baal. They persecuted and killed the prophet of God. Idolatry has made it to Jerusalem. Therefore, God will destroy Israel. And whoever is left is going to be exiled. That's the judgment of God over Israel. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming when God will judge the living and the dead. A day when you and I will, face, will be face to face with Almighty God. And an only defense, the only argument that we will have that day is, I'm in Christ. I am in Him. He paid for my sins. He washed me with His precious blood. It's nothing I did. It's all His. I'm in Him. But as we look for that day, as we look for that day, let us live in light of that day. Let us do justice. Let us not defraud one another. Let us not treat anyone differently because they have less money or because he or she doesn't look like me or because he or she doesn't speak like me. Let us love mercy. Let us cry with one another. Let us reach out to the less fortunate. Let's have this servant attitude. Let's be looking here in our community. Who can I serve? Who can I serve? Let us walk humbly with our God. Let's heed Paul's words to the Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his own pleasure. 
It is through Jesus and his work for us that we can do anything because he practiced perfect justice because he loved mercy to the point of giving his life for you and me and because he walked humbly with his father because of him we can look to the future with hope and set goals that will help us grow in godliness brothers and sisters we don't get to draw our own bull's eye around the things that make us feel good God himself gave us the bull's eye and the only one, the only man in history that hit it dead center was Jesus Christ. But that should never stop us from aiming at it by the power of the Holy Spirit because we are in him who hit the target in the bull's eye. Let us gladly spend and be spent for the gospel of grace that compel us to grow in godliness for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you because it pleased you to love us, to send your son to die on the cross for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you because now we have access to the throne of grace and we can come to you. Thank you, Lord. Now I pray that as we look forward, as we look into the future and we see Christ waiting for us with his arms open, that we will live our lives in light of that reality, that we will have godliness as our goal to be transformed, to work diligently, to not rest, and yet be confident when we fall that we have a mediator. And that we will be completely. And that you will finish what you started in us in that day. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.